This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Welcome to wrestle with. Who's Well, you know. Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with, Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, are you air drumming right now? I needed drums. I heard you say that over the open. I was like, yeah, I need drums. (laughs) You do have a big birthday coming up. See, this is my orange peeler. It peels oranges, so you get like right there on that little part of it right here. Wait, it gets it and goes around the rind, and then you do it in quarters. And then you take this part, you stick it in there, and you peel oranges. You could also, you know, you just use your fingers. That's gross. Okay. I forget. You get manicures. Well, listen, we're excited to have you here, Bruce. We, of course, normally uh, drop our episodes on uh, Friday, but we're actually recording on Saturday morning, and you uh, got home in the wee hours of the morning from SmackDown and still made time to hang with us on Saturday morning. Bruce, are you sleepy? Are you stressed? Are you tired? No. You know, we do what we do, man. It's called doing what you do. Because you do what you do, I do what I do, and then together we do what we do, we do. Well, I'm so glad- if I'm fumble fuck in the mouth a little bit today, you'll you'll kind of understand. How many minutes of sleep have you had? Do you think? Uh, I don't know. Maybe 120? 123. Okay, there you go. Something like that. We're running about the same this morning. Yeah. But uh, before we get going, and we have a fun topic because we're talking about. Your last No Way Out. No Way oh, Out 2008. 15 years ago, of course, everybody listening to this remembers that uh, you left the company in November of that year. So here we are, nine months before you leave WWE the second time. Uh, but before we talk about all that, I want to uh, circle back because last week we did a, a best of. It was a pay-per-view week. You guys had one hell of a show in Montreal. Uh, just a, a fantastic success Uh High fives all around for Elimination Chamber. However, 
unfortunately, we lost Mr. Jerry Jarrett. And I know that we both think a lot of uh, Jeff, and I know that in the early days of something to wrestle, you uh, had a little fun with Mr. Jarrett, but I think there's a misconception about your relationship with him. So I wanted to just start the show and you have a few minutes to just share your thoughts and feelings about Jerry Jarrett, the legacy he leaves behind and clear up any of the rumor and innuendo that you may wish about y'all's relationship. No, I did hate his guts. I, I, um, did not have a good relationship with Jerry Jarrett for many, many years. However, I think that, um, in the last few years and, and frankly, after talking about everything on this podcast, something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, I, I got a lot of that out. And it also brought to the surface, a lot of those issues with Jerry and Jerry and I, you know, would talk. I saw Jerry at Jeff's induction into the hall of fame and went up, talked to Jerry, took some pictures and we reconciled and all that good stuff. And then, uh, later on, you know, when Jeff was working here, we would often just, you know, talk about stuff. And I got to see Jerry in September of this year at the uh, SummerSlam event that we had in Nashville and spent some time with Jerry, uh, took some great pictures and got to spend time with him and Deborah along with Jeff and Karen. And it was, uh, it was really a great time. We talked about white labeling, um, some chicken salad because like his recipe and my recipe, we kind of put them together and then slap that label on it and let everyone enjoy. Well, you know, I love that. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, we're not here to, to talk about or rehash old negative stuff, but you know, when you came in hot there today and you said, Oh, I did hate his guts. I think a lot of people immediately go to, Oh, he hated his guts because he felt like he was being replaced and no. he was going to take Vince's spot and blah, blah, blah. The reality is there was a, a family issue yeah, uh, that we've touched on before and it is available in the archives, but it wasn't a professional thing. It was a, Hey man, why'd you say that? That affected me and my family. And he, of course, cause he didn't realize that and. Listen, bygones be bygones. I had nothing but you great know, it, experience, Jerry, and I'm sure well, you. Here's did. the other thing, Conrad, is that no matter no matter what, no matter you know how you feel at one time as you get older in life, and hopefully, if people are watching this or listening to this, that are younger, that they will realize, man, you don't hold grudges, you don't. Uh, hold on to shit like that because all it does, it's just baggage and it's extra baggage. And after a while, your shoulder starts to go, your other shoulder starts to go and you just can't do it anymore or you don't want to do it anymore, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, so why, why hang on to it? Why, why drag it all down? So when it was funny, when I learned of Jerry's passing, I waited until, um, the family made the announcement and just sent out a picture of myself with Jerry uh, from August, SummerSlam, and said, R.I.P., Jerry, rest in peace, man. And I hope he is resting in peace. But I got a lot of backlash. And, oh, you haters his guts. You did this. You know, at a time like that, when you do, you know, you're, you may not agree with somebody, but it's like Ultimate Warrior. This is another good example. I, I 
Ultimate Warrior had uh, family, uh, had a wife and kids, and it was it was sad. Uh, same thing with Jerry, but at least Jerry and I got to reconcile at the end, and and, and so it was sad. So I did do want to rest in peace, and I felt bad for Jeff, felt bad for Deborah, I felt bad for the rest of his kids and those that loved him. So get over it, folks, because um, I haven't, you know, Jerry was one that, again, after a while, you just kind of go, okay, it's all good. You know what? Hey, Jerry, you want to make some chicken salad? And we started, I mean, in, in, <laughs> at Somerset, we started comparing chicken salad recipes. So who knows what would have happened, but uh, Godspeed, Jerry, rest in peace, man. Well said, Bruce, you know, it's, uh, it's just easier to, to get along sometimes. And I'm glad you guys were able to find some common ground and let bygones be bygones. And so much of those hurt feelings were decades ago and right. know, you're the same person and he's not the same person. And I'd venture to say it worked out okay for everybody. So, uh, let's, with that in mind, let's talk about somebody else that we know things are working out for here back 15 years ago in 2008, John Cena makes a surprise return at the Royal rumble well ahead of the reported schedule. He is the lucky number 30 entrant. He's going to go on to win the rumble and get the main event title shot. It's always been remarkable to see how fast John could overcome these injuries and beat all the expectations and come back early. When did you know that John was coming back? Uh, shoot, I don't know. Maybe a month before, maybe six weeks before. John is a cyborg. Mm. Um, best way to describe him, that you could injure John in, in what most people would be out for six months. John would be out six weeks. Um, he just had unbelievable recuperative powers and a desire not to sit on the sidelines. So I think that while a lot of people would relish that time, Oh, Hey, I've got time off. I can just chill for six months. John looked at that like, Oh my God, I've got time off. I've, I've got to get back. I've got to work harder than I ever have to get back. Sometimes that works to a disadvantage too, because if you push too hard, that may make the injury worse. Therefore keeping you out a lot longer with John, man, he, uh, <laughs> got checked out by all the doctors got cleared. And it was like, it's a miracle. He, he caught a ball. It was great. Oh my, listen to you with that deep cut. Listen, let's talk about the way the whole decision is made. Uh, it would be written in the newsletters at the time that it was kept quiet, but Cena was actually at the Mohegan sun on January 7th. He's supposed to be on raw here. Uh, I know that Brian and Vince felt strongly that he should be announced. And even Michael Hayes said, Hey, we got to announce that he's back and he's going to be in the rumble. It'll help pay-per-view buys. But allegedly the two voices that opposed or Stephanie and you, you guys, you and Steph at the time were aligned in, well, it'd be better if it was a surprise. Ultimately, Vince changes his mind, sides with you and Steph, decides, yes, we will make it a surprise. And Cena leaves the building before the taping even starts. Do you remember this back and forth? And is there a rule of thumb or is it just a feel 
for what should be announced and what should be a surprise. No, it's just a feel. It doesn't matter whose idea that it is and or why. It's you reach a point, and a lot of times you, you get to that point and you have, have a feeling, and you're sitting there going, you know, most of the audience believes that he won't be back probably for another two months. Was he going to sell any more tickets and or pay-per-view? And I also believe that sometimes word of mouth after an event as well was extremely valuable to get people that were on the fence or that didn't order to go, oh, my God, John Cena came back. I've got to see this and order the replay immediately. So I think that my feeling was one of, hmm, They are not expecting him. Let's wait. And there are others, and I subscribe to this theory too, um, that you have John Cena. He's returning. Let's make a big deal out of it, and let's advertise him. Let's talk about him coming into the Royal Rumble. Will he be ready? You know, ask all those questions in front of it versus allowing. You don't always get those opportunities to have a big surprise like that. Sometimes, again, if it's been that long, but it wasn't that long with John. Mm. So um, let's get him back and let's get him in there. Let's make a surprise. That's my feeling. Did you guys at this point, you know, when you know you've got one of your top guys on the sidelines with an injury like this, do you have a plan B? Like, obviously, we would love to have Cena back for WrestleMania. That would be fantastic. But what if he is overtraining? What if he is training too hard? What if he does get re-injured and he can't go at WrestleMania? Do you have a sort of plan B at all times for WrestleMania or no? In the back, everybody's got a plan B in the back of their head. Right. You know, but but when you don't think you don't think that way until you have to, most times. I, I don't book two different well, if this happens and I'll do this, or if this happens, I know you, you, you book and write to your ideal scenario. What's the best story. And you lay that out. And then if there are speed bumps along the way, then it's like, okay, well, I got to do something else. Then you come up with plan B, but I don't go into it and say, well, if Cena is there, we'll do this. If he isn't there, we'll do this. If he's is there, but he's you, you get bogged down in that. You have uh, 18 different cards. It's sometimes we would get bogged down like that. Majority of the times, and you're asking me how I would do it. That's how I do it. I do it with a story and I try to work to that story and to end that story. First, let's talk about what's next for John Cena here, because everybody knows when you win the Royal Rumble, you get a title shot at WrestleMania, but he goes on raw the next night after everybody assumes, okay, it's Randy Orton versus John Cena at WrestleMania. And John Cena says, I don't want to wait. I want my title shot at no way out. And I could see how that is, is really, really smart thinking in terms of how do we sell this February pay-per-view? I've never been there. It's not my job. I don't know. But I just imagine that it is hard to sort of get fans excited about the February show when when the, the Rumble show is such a huge success. It's got so much interest. It feels like WrestleMania and SummerSlam and, and Royal Rumble are kind of like the big three. 
And now after the rumble, we're really excited about WrestleMania, but Oh, by the way, there's this other show. And I would assume that you guys were trying to avoid as much of a dip between, you know, a big Royal rumble by rate, smaller February one, and then through the roof for WrestleMania, maybe the way to circumvent that is what if we just do the title shot next month? Is that kind of the thinking? It's a different way of thinking. It's, it's looking at different ways to present your product. While a lot of times you can take the attitude of, ah, it's seasonal and it dips in the summer. It's going to dip in February. Okay. It only dips if you don't have an attraction. At least that's, that is the reality of it. Okay. I mean, we right. all make excuses. Um, yeah, it dips and, you know, people aren't uh, doing it. And the new gas station opened down the street. So there are a lot of excuses, but the fact of the matter is, is if you have an attraction they want to see, they're going to show up for it. What companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number one in the banking industry and number one for their ongoing commitment to workers, offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal. Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year, awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. One of the things I want to ask about here is the way you're trying to load up this, this no way out show, because instead of just having whoever won the rumble challenge for the title at WrestleMania, now you're having it happen here at the February show. And in addition to that, it's announced that there's going to be not one, but two elimination chamber matches. And back in these days, that was the first time that had ever happened. There had been elimination chamber matches. Sure. But never two on the same show. It really feels as if you're trying to make this February pay-per-view no way out 2008 stand out from all the rest and make a statement and really push all your eggs in or put all your eggs in one basket, push all your chips in all those cliches. Let's load this damn pay-per-view up. Why the big push to, to make this pay-per-view were you just looking at years past and trying to see if it was possible? Or Why not? You, you, yeah. You've got the momentum going into WrestleMania. You you have that momentum. Capitalize on it and give them a show that can be as big as WrestleMania. And if it's if it's that good, they're going to tune in, and hopefully you're going to do something that's that good that's now going to take them into WrestleMania. So why not do it? It's it, it, sometimes you if you fall into that trap of oh well it's February I don't need to give them as good of a show. Sometimes there was that feeling. Well, the show doesn't need to be that good because we're coming back with WrestleMania. Um, no, give them the best show that you possibly can at all times. There's uh, some speculation, too, that perhaps the company is not going to do Randy Orton and John Cena in a rematch position for WrestleMania. And instead, it's going to be John Cena and Triple H. And uh, it even makes the newsletters that 
Michael Hayes is an advocate for even promoting this WrestleMania as Triple H Cena too, sort of like you would in a boxing event. But this is also the era where, well, the Cena backlash is a real thing. In a 15,000-seater, you could pretty often hear, you know, anti-Cena chants and boos and whatnot. But Meltzer would speculate that might not be the case in a 70,000-seat stadium because you would have a lot more casual wrestling fans who were John Cena fans, maybe not the diehards. Um, talk to me about when you remember the Cena love hate relationship beginning with the crowd and did it make a difference if it was a small arena or a stadium show? I don't think it did. I think that the, uh, large arena, there was just more of them and Cena has always been a very polarizing talent in that, you know, you love to, you love to say Cena sucks. But then you go, let's go Cena. It, it's a great dynamic, man. Cena appeals to the younger audience. Cena appeals to the now, if you will, that the audience, the, the younger audience could connect to. But then the older, the, the teens and above males looked at Cena and they liked to boo Cena. They liked to say, ah, you know, the hell with that Cena crap. Um, that's, that was the beauty of John Cena. But the one thing about John is he made you feel you had an opinion one way or another, and it really didn't matter because the audience cared about him. And for that, for that younger audience, man, John delivered a ton of merchandise sales, just a ton. And John was the guy. John was the guy. You could boo him out of the building. He would not change. He would still do his stuff the way he was going to do it. And at the end of the day, I think the audience respected that. Talk to me a little bit about uh, Jeff Hardy. This is an interesting era for him. He's he's not yet become the world champ, but boy, the the audience has really gotten behind him. I mean, I think a lot of people would have been would have even expected him to be the guy to get the title shot against Randy Orton at WrestleMania. Uh, it doesn't happen of course, but all of a sudden now in, in a very big way, Jeff Hardy is, is much more than just a tag team guy. Jeff Hardy could be one of the top baby faces in the WWE. What was your feet gut feeling about Jeff Hardy in 2008? Did you feel like he could be the guy? I did feel like Jeff had the opportunity to be the guy. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have been put in the position that he was put in. So Jeff had charisma out the ass, unbelievable charisma. The audience loved him. It was, I think, that that was the opposite of Cena in that the males that were you know 14 and above looked at Jeff as if he was cool. Yeah, hey man, that guy's cool, you know, and and there was Jeff Hardy just has that it factor. Jeff had it. And the audience looked at it and they go, they wanted more of it, whatever the hell it was. So for you know, Jeff Hardy, I think that you know, now was his time. He had the opportunity at that point to really jump out and um make his name. Jeff Hardy, of course, we know has recently been in the news. Uh, and I know we don't talk about current stuff a lot, but I think a lot of fans were relieved to see that he's not going to have to do uh, jail time 
it looks like he's got a 10 year probation uh, or a two year probation and 10 years on a suspended license. Uh, I think a lot of fans were upset at that as well. Equally. Sure. I mean, listen, I think this was his third DUI and and I'm I'm sure there's arguments both ways, but I think he's pretty universal. I I want you to clarify this. My understanding. I, I mean, I think he's pretty universally well loved, not even liked, but loved in the wrestling business, not just by fans, but the folks in it. And he's one of those guys that I think we're all pulling for to pull the nose up and mm-hmm. and, and be a success story and a happy ending. I sure hope so. Yeah. I, I sure hope so. You know, I've been through a lot with Jeff and uh, through a lot of those ups and downs. And there there comes a point in time where you have to help yourself. And the ball's in his court now. Um, you can either dribble it down the court and score on the other side, or you can – uh, not make it, <laughs> you know, it, the ball is in his court. Now I wish him well. I hope that he succeeds and I hope that, uh, he continues to continues to do well. We'll see. We're all pulling for him. I know that, uh, thoughts and prayers with him and his whole family and, and, uh, hope for a happy ending all around there. Let's uh, let's talk about Bobby Lashley. He's going to come to an end here with WWE. Uh, you guys uh, come to terms with him on a mutual release, uh, and it's crazy when you think that at this point here in 2008, he was Vince's pet project just one year prior. I mean, even the whole you know Battle of the Billionaires record-breaking WrestleMania. I mean, just the year before, and now he's on his way out. Why did it go wrong with Lashley in this era? We know these days, boy, it couldn't be better. He's with WWE and such a big part of what y'all are doing. But way back when, how did it get sideways? Bobby was just unhappy. I think that Bobby was frustrated with where he was uh, at the time. And Bobby was just frustrated with a lot of things and unhappy. Wanted to leave. And that was a point where if you're unhappy and you don't want to be here, okay, let's work something out so that you can leave. It was as simple as that. Well, something else that was pretty simple uh, was that Brock Lesnar was going to uh, put his foot in the water in MMA. Of course, he had had one fight that wasn't in the UFC, but now he's fighting a former heavyweight champion in the UFC. It's his debut for the UFC, Saturday, February 2nd, Super Bowl weekend against the former champ, Frank Mayer, who admittedly at this point had probably his best days behind him. Uh, but still this was, uh, this was the talk of the wrestling business, at least for a few days. Was it not like everybody in wrestling seemingly was pulling for Brock. They wanted him to go represent pro wrestling because a lot of the MMA guys were really, really pushing for Frank to embarrass Brock Lesnar. Like you got to get this phony wrestler out of here and then we were going to find out. What do you remember about the hype surrounding Brock Lesnar's UFC debut? Yeah, I think anybody that's ever been around Brock for more than 30 seconds, uh, the word phony would never enter your vocabulary. No. Brock was, you know, a machine. And Brock was a great amateur wrestler, legitimate tough guy. And Brock entering UFC from – the vantage point from where we were was like, okay, hey, Brock is going in to represent the business, if you will, because other than Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn to a lesser extent, you, you never really had anybody of that magnitude 
in UFC. Um, Kenny was was a huge name in UFC, probably a bigger name in UFC than he was in WWE. Brock was a big name in WWE going into the UFC. But it was more of a, I think guys genuinely liked Brock too, wanted to see him succeed, but more than anything, didn't want him to embarrass the wrestling business by, you know, going in and getting destroyed. And, you know, Brock's a badass. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all you can really say about that because the son of a bitch went out there and made things happen and uh, was a hell of a legitimate athlete, legitimate great wrestler. Well, as we know, the first fight didn't go his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of folks assumed he would bully Frank Mir, and that looked like it was going to be the case. Once they went to the ground, Frank Mir knew more about jiu-jitsu than old Brock Lesnar did at the time, and Brock winds up having to tap out after a leg lock here. Uh, were you surprised that Brock didn't win? His, his I was. Yeah, I was I was definitely shocked that Brock didn't win, especially even just kind of looking at the the size difference. And you know, Brock was a pure amateur wrestler and you know, it was Brock's first time in the octagon. Frank had experience. So it's not like uh there's no shade in losing to Frank Mir. Right. But uh, I think Brock avenged that loss, you know, when he came back and, and did it again. And it was like, all right, there's the Brock Lesnar that you, you know, can go. So it was, um, yeah, it was crazy. Cause at first man, Brock came out like a, just, holy shit, this is going to be short and this is going to be ugly. And, uh, Frank with his jujitsu skills, which are different than, than Matt wrestling. Yes. And I don't know how much, you know, Brock trained in jujitsu and that type of that type of grappling, if you will. Man, you, you want to go on the mat with Brock? I'll still put him and Kurt up against practically anybody. Um but yeah, just uh, it was a shame. But I thought that he in the beginning, a few seconds of that match, you know, Brock went out and showed, holy shit, there's something there. I don't think people left going, ah, well, that guy's got nothing. I think people went, holy shit, man. If, if Brock can learn a little more just jujitsu and if he could learn just a little more over here and and striking and this and, and how not to get caught, then he would be the force that he eventually became. We know that those early UFCs with Brock, man, the crowd was just littered with WWE Hall of Famers and, and, and current roster talent. And I assume it was a big topic of conversation in the locker room because I know in the coming years with Brock's success, it would often be a discussion that we would see online or in interviews because the UFC is going to just explode in popularity and people would say, oh, I might have tried that if things had gone a little different or if I had been born a little later or whatever the case may be. But I'm curious from Vince McMahon's standpoint, we've often heard that, you know, he sort of lived for lack of a better phrase in a wrestling bubble. So he wasn't keeping up with Seinfeld or what was hot on TV or maybe his favorite football player really was Wahoo McDaniel, but he was just sort of one track focused on wrestling. I'm curious. Do you remember who was my favorite football player too? Of course. Uh, what, what do you remember him 
having an interest in how Brock was doing in the UFC, do you think that would have been a show that he would have watched just because it was Brock? I believe he did watch it. I don't think he watched it live, but right. I know he watched it. Just wanted to see how Brock did. Sure. Well, I, I know this for sure. Uh, Brock was eating good on his way to that fight. You know, he could weigh up to 265 mm -hmm. pounds. He was going to be one of the biggest guys in the heavyweight division. And in order to do that, you got to eat steak and a yes, lot yeah. of steak. Backyard butchers can make you eat like Brock Lesnar because we're getting you bulk meat specials. But steakhouse quality, all responsibly sourced from American farms, delivered right to your door. And for a limited time, the Backyard Butchers are offering you 15% off, plus free shipping. And check this out, four free ribeyes for life with every subscription. The wait is over, y'all. It's quality steak, free shipping, period. I just can't believe that they've done this, Bruce, but they've managed to cut out the middleman grocery stores, but still bring you responsibly sourced American-made beef, pork, and chicken, all from the farms of the heartland of America, and they ship it right to your door. It's delivered fresh, safely packaged in an eco-friendly insulated box. And somehow it's cheaper than the grocery store, y'all. I can't believe they're doing this, but you're buying in bulk, boys and girls. And here's the heads up. There's no memberships or subscriptions required. But if you do choose to subscribe, well, you can cancel anytime. But I promise you, once you try them, you'll want to subscribe because you're gonna love the price. You're gonna love the ease. You're gonna love the quality and the taste of not just the steak, but the pork and the chicken too. And let me remind you, it's 15% off, it's free shipping, and it's four free ribeyes for life. When you use a subscription over at backyardbutchers.com. The promo code is WRESTLE, and it'll get you four free ribeyes for life. Restaurant quality ribeyes, free. Can't believe this is real. You're going to thank me later when you visit backyardbutchers.com, click on the online shop and order. Now remember, there's no subscriptions or memberships necessary, but if you do choose to subscribe for free ribeyes for life, not just one time, but with every order in the future, plus 15% off and free shipping, it's all available now at backyardbutchers.com. And want to be sure to use our promo code WRESTLE. Say goodbye to the grocery store. Say hello to the bulk meat specials, all from the American farms. Let's beat meatflation, shall we? Free shipping. Backyardbutchers.com. Use our promo code WRESTLE. 15% off and four free ribeyes for life. Come on. Get you some. So Did we actually just say beat meat. Can't beat our meat. No, you certainly can't beat backyard butcher's meat. That's for damn sure. And again, folks, you know, there are a lot of sponsors that we, you know, will go through and we love every single one of them. Backyard butchers, as they say, I hate going to the grocery store. I yeah, we all do. We all do. And when I come home late at night and I see that box sitting on the counter, I'm a happy camper and you will be too. Just remember to use the promo code Russell. By God. Um, backyard butchers rules. Free shipping. 15% off four free ribeyes for life. Come on. Backyard it, pay, it, it pays for itself. How many times over? It's cheaper in the grocery store, Bruce. And I got to admit, I thought, well, that, that just can't be true. How could they do How are they making a profit? I went to the grocery store for the first time. in I don't know how long. And I was like, I'll be damned. 
it is cheaper. And it's even cheaper when you use our promo code Russell, 15% off. Hook it up right now. You'll be glad you did. Backyardbutchers.com. And better, well, frankly. Well, let's talk about uh, some other changes that are happening here. WWE is going to make the switch to high def on January 21st. And buddy, this is something that, you know, fans, we certainly appreciated a better picture, but I don't think any of us could really wrap our head around what that meant because you're talking about all new, everything, all new procedures, (laughs) software screen, right? This is a multi, 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 multi multi-million dollar investment to make this switch. Is it not? Yeah. And I, and we made the switch probably quicker and sooner than a lot of the networks did. So there were networks, Hey, we have high definition and some that were like, but, uh, yeah, it changed your cameras. It changed, it changed every single thing, a completely brand new production truck, high def production truck, which, uh, now it became the reality that pretty much everybody needed to get makeup because you saw everything in high def. Everything. So it was a uh, it was a challenging time because things that you would let go in you know just regular def, if you will, then all of a sudden high def, you're looking at it going, oh my god, they look like that. You're right. standing next to him. Oh, holy cow. That doesn't work. So, yes, extremely expensive proposition, but that's what the industry was going to. Right. Everyone in the industry, man, you had to be, so you had to be high def by a certain time or your show didn't make the air. So you can see, you know, you can see today when they go back and take footage from prior to high def yes just the framing in it but the quality which you thought then was unheard of quality the the quality compared to now is like holy what what were you guys shooting with you know (laughs) it was pretty bad i uh i want to ask about some something else that was happening behind the scenes here that is, I guess, a little bit in regards to television. Dave Lagana, the former ECW head writer, I guess he was the ECW head writer at the time, he's going to be let go after six years with the company. What do you remember of Lagana being released, and did this add to your workload? <laughs> Anytime someone's released, it is added to my workload. Right. But, uh, yeah, Dave, you know, just... Uh, Had some issues and uh, had to move on. Is that all you're going to give us? And that's all you're going to get. Look, I, <laughs> to, to sit to sit here and 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 tell you that uh, I know every reason why Dave was let go would be a lie. I don't. I heard rumors and things, but um, you know, Conrad. I know this can be hard to believe, but I'm just not one of those guys for the rumor and innuendo. What was your relationship like with Lagana, regardless of whether he's saying he's going, how was he to work with, uh, what, what were his, what were some of his strengths on the writing team or as a member of WWE? What was your relationship with Lagana once he wasn't with WWE? 
Uh, my relationship with Dave was fine. I mean, Dave came in and worked with us in TNA when Jeff Jarrett was doing the Ring King in India. Then uh, Dave came in and worked with us on the writing team. We we took him over to uh, the the TNA side of things when Ring King kind of went away. So I always had a good relationship with Dave. I have no problem with Dave. What were his uh, strengths as a team member? What was he good at? Like, does he have a strong suit from a writing standpoint? I only ask that because we've heard some people say things like, oh, this guy was a great Finnish guy, or this guy had great stories, or this guy understood nuance, or whatever. What was Lagana good at? I I think Lagana was kind of a disciple of of Paul Heyman and, you know, was into a lot of the ECW hardcore uh, stuff that, some worked, some didn't, but Dave, you know, kind of pushed because that's what he grew up on. I think Dave, you know, grew up on ECW in Philadelphia and right. that, that's what he wanted to do. And then when he was there while Paul was there, uh, you know, Paul got his hooks into him and Paul, you know, put him under the learning tree. And I think Dave just believed every word that came out of his mouth and worshiped Paul because that was his hero growing up at ECW. Is there one uh, story or angle or one memorable WWE moment you can point to and say that was a Lagana idea? No, I can't. I don't know. Dave, Dave was good as far as, you know, getting the show on paper and, you know, uh, kind of formatting the show. A lot of right. times, a lot of times, um, I'm good at reformatting shows. Um, but Dave, you know, was, was good at uh, getting it down and very detail oriented. And that was his job. I, I don't, I, and I'm sure he did. So don't, I just don't remember any creative idea that I can go, Oh, Hey, that was a Lungana deal. Don't really remember. Yeah. I mean, you even said at the top of this show, when we talked about the scene of return, that you often don't think about it in terms of, oh, that was this person's idea or that was that right. person's idea. That's just not the way the process no. works. Because um, yeah, we, we, we all work on it and to try and remember a lot of times, oh, that was so-and-so came up with that. That's just not reality. Right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. I, uh, I'm curious. Uh, I think at this point, Lagana is, uh, is outside of wrestling completely. I know he had done uh, a bunch of work with you guys in the WWE and then had quite a run with impact and then, uh, did some stuff with the NWA. I don't think he's doing anything in wrestling right now. 
Uh, would you, uh, is he somebody that you perceive as being a wrestling lifer or do you think that he'll probably find success outside of wrestling and, and, and wrestling's in the rearview mirror now, what would you guess for Lagana? Cause there's some guys that feels like they can't get out of their blood, right? Yeah. I don't think it was ever in his blood. Okay. So I, I think that he was a fan that was fortunate enough to get into the business and do his thing. All right. Let's talk about somebody else who was fortunate enough to get in Mike Adamley. He's going to debut at the Royal rumble. He's put on the raw brand. This feels like a Vince initiative. You know, he was, uh, formerly, uh, in my childhood, the, the voice of the American gladiators loved his stuff there and a quote unquote, traditional broadcaster, not necessarily a quote unquote wrestling guy. That feels like a Vince call to me. Was it? Yeah, I believe so. Mike was, you know, Mike had a great sports background. Mike was a tremendous football player. Mike did sports broadcasting in Chicago. And we had used Mike, gosh, 1980, 1988 for a boxing pilot that I, I know I've told this story before, but uh, we were doing a boxing pilot. When I say we, the company was because I had nothing to do with it. It was a weekend off for all of us. So I was trying to stay as far away from it as I possibly could. It starred Mike Adamley and Tex Cobb, Tex Randall Cobb, or Randall Tex Cobb. Could be a 30-minute syndicated boxing show that highlighted boxing from all over the world. So you'd have clips and whatever fights had taken place during the week, they would recap them and then talk about big fights coming up and use it as a promotional tool for big fights. And we were looking at, do we really want to get into the boxing game? Do we want to get into boxing promotion or is this something we want to, you know, sell to Don King or whoever else, Bob Arum or any of those guys that were out there. So on Saturday night, I get a phone call and it's, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, chilling out. Well, can you go by the studio and just let me know what's going on? They're doing the boxing show. Yeah, I know. Need to know what's going on. So I go over to see everybody, and there's um, if you could imagine Animal House producing a 30 minute boxing pilot. That's basically what was going on in edit one. Okay. And so I, I come walking in there I'm like, holy shit. And there's this guy named Rick La Sabita. I don't even think I was ever introduced to Rick La Sabita. I don't think that I ever even actually met him. Okay. But he was the director of the show. And he was one of these guys that would kind of sit over the, the control board and all that stuff. He'd be like, okay, ready to zoom, ready to, ready, 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 take two. Okay. And, okay. But then they would stop down because they, I'm like, oh man, you're shooting at 30, you're shooting ins and outs for a 30-minute boxing pilot. 
75% of this show is videotape packages and shit. Videotape. 25% of this is your ins and outs that you're shooting here in the studio. And then it's okay. Okay, guys, let's go. Let's get set up. Okay, ready? Ready three, ready three. Okay. Oh, not so fast, not so fast. Ready three. Take three. Ah, yes. What in the ever living fuck is going on here? So I sat back on the producer's table and I just kind of watched for a while. And while I, I was there probably an hour and a half, I don't know if they got 30 seconds or not even a minute of footage, usable footage in that hour and a half. And I go in and call Vince, and he says, how's it going? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I said, Vince, I think you're going to need a lot live. If you want this to be a weekly syndicated show, we're going to need more than a week to, <laughs> to do it. Um, who found these people? And it, it was a guy named Jim Troy. Good guy. Um, Jim was head of international, and Jim, Jim was – big into the boxing world and big into pay-per-view. He was a former hockey goon uh, for the Cape Cod hockey team that Vince had purchased years and years ago. But Jim was nowhere to be found. So the, the executive producer of this thing, the guy that's doing it all, and it turned it over to this Rick Lasavita guy, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? Because it still had some of our people. It had our, um, you know, using all the guys in Master. We're using our camera guys. Uh, they didn't have Kevin or, or Kerwin or the other Kevin or Larry or anybody in there. I don't know. Larry might have been there. But the normal crew wasn't there. Right. And had a ton of people I just didn't know. And a lot of them. So, oh, I forgot. I'm sorry. I forgot. Time out. So Vince wants to know what's going on because Tex Cobb had, and how he got this information, I don't know, but Tex had, was kind of running amok, and Tex was very angry, and that was the other reason they, that he had asked me to go, was to go calm Tex down. Let Tex know, hey, you know, we got to get this done, man. So I don't, again, I don't know text from Adam. So I get there and they have the studio door locked from the outside. So you can't get out of the studio. Do you follow me? Yes. And Rick is doing this fucking bullshit. Ah! And Texas is motherfuckering. Uh, Rick Las Vida, I'm going to kill you. Son of a bitch, you open this door, I'm going to kick the door down, I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to kill you, and I'm going to rip you limb from limb, you little piece, all this stuff. And so I go into the studio. I introduce myself. I introduce myself to Tex. I introduce myself to Mike Adamley. And I said, hey, Tex, let's go take a walk. So Tex and I walk outside the uh, studio, uh, took a walk around the studio, got ourselves right, and might have inhaled. Got it. 
And by the time we got back, I, I made. I said, before we go back in, you got to promise me you're not going to kill Rick Lasvita. He says, ah, all right, I promise. But if that little son of a bitch gets in my face, I'm going to knock him out. I said, you can't knock him out. You can't do it. Please don't do it. I'm asking you, please. And he said, okay, I won't do it. I promise. So go back in the in there and let them go and continue to to shoot. And at the time, Mike um, had some issues with uh, alcohol, and Mike would would drink while he was working. So the longer it went, the mm. more Mike would drink. <laughs> I'm sitting there and they had they had been in the studio. I think they started like eight or nine o'clock in the morning. And now it's eleven thirty at night. And I don't know that they had more than two minutes of actually usable footage. We're talking here 13 hours. Right. Is that right? Yeah. 13, 14 hours. No, yeah. Because uh, it's 11.30. They started at 8 or 9. Yeah, that's a long time. And Vince calls. How's it going? I said, because I made him show me. You know, what have you guys got done? And it was like, over like that. I told him, he says, shut it down and fire everyone. Vince, I know these people work for me. They do now. Oh, I don't. I don't know any of these people. Oh God! So, um, it it just became. Uh, uh, can, can't we just tell them? You know, come back tomorrow. No, my hand come back tomorrow. It's crazy. Shut it down and fire everybody. My God! Called everybody in. Edit one, let them know this shoot's over and let them go. So I walk in. Oh no. Walk in the studio, tell everybody in the studio, hey guys, can everybody come in edit one? They all come walking into edit one. People in edit one are like, what the hell's going on? What are you doing? So I just need everybody in, in the room. I said, everybody that is not, uh, so like there are a couple of the tape guys, master control I said, you guys, you're good. You guys can go. You guys can leave for the night. You're, you're done. I don't need you tomorrow either. And everybody that wasn't a staff person with us, uh, I said, uh, Hey, my name's Bruce Pritchard, blah, blah, blah. Oh. Um, I'm here to let you all know that we're gonna end production on this right now. We're we're not gonna do this. Um, thank you. I will have Jimmy get in touch with with all of you at, at some point, but um, it's over. Thank you very much for your hard work, and and it's it's over. Who the fuck are you? And then another person says, are, are we being fired? And I said, well, let me try to answer that. I am the guy that's telling you, yes, you're now fired. But thank you. 
And if you would, please, um, you know, in those days we had security in the building and stuff. So if everybody would please get their stuff, just leave everything where it is. And uh, I need to ask everybody to leave. I kept two people from that. I kept two people from that production. That was it. But needless to say, we never, never went back to the 30 minute boxing highlight show, syndicated show. God, it was that was a night that was embarrassing but yeah i had to let go of everybody that was in that room that was it was crazy it was just so crazy and it wasn't their fault for the most part it was the director's fault it was the lack of preparation they really didn't have you know producers that knew how to grab hold of things and take control so it was it was definitely you know the fault lied on them. The fault lied on Jim Troy for not being there and being able to pull all this shit together and make it happen and just leading people to their own devices that had no clue what the hell they were doing. So that's where I met Mike Adamley. <laughs> Long story, that's where I met Mike. And Mike was the nicest guy. Um, Mike had had a few by the time that that announcement was made. And he was just like, okay. Um, but... Uh, Nice guy, really super fucking sweetheart of a guy. Really, really nice guy. We'd used Mike for a few things over the years uh, in Chicago, just different things. But thought was bringing Mike back and using Mike as an on-air talent because he was good. At one point, he he, he was actually. Good. It's just sometimes his drinking would get in the way. And from what I understand, he had some some CTE stuff. Too. Yes, and yeah. nobody nobody knew that at the time. Nobody knew right. what the CTE was. Right, right. So you know, it was. I think that Mike used uh, alcohol to cover up a lot of that. Yes, and and again, it's um, you couldn't you you couldn't ask for a better human being. Right, but. Um, he just, yeah, he had issues nobody knew about that he didn't know about. Well, there's no issue bringing in some TNA talent here. There's going to be a couple of guys who are fresh off TNA programming now coming into the WWE, one of which is Ron Killings, who's still with the company to this day. And the other is a former one half of the tag team, America's Most Wanted. I think a lot of people thought that guy had a bright WWE future as Wildcat Chris Harris. He's going to come in, of course, and uh, Braden Walker, not long for the WWE. Um, what do you remember about Chris Harris coming into the company here and why it didn't work out? Bob Backlund, take 94. Chris Harris took the, took the record away for the most takes of pre-tape ever in the history of being on the road and producing at least in my history um man he just couldn't do it just couldn't do it he had one that he had trouble with or all of them he had trouble with couldn't get through one he had oh, trouble wow. with every single one of them it was <laughs> usually if i get called hey bruce can you come in and kind of get this going and make it work. Usually if I get called in, it's, it's usually bad. And usually I can kind of work through it. And I reached a point where I was like, Hey Vince, I need help here. Cause I don't know what to do on this one. 
And Vince came in and Vince after maybe 10, 15 minutes of working with him realized that, yeah, this isn't going to work. It just, he just didn't get it, man. He couldn't, couldn't do it. And he can't. So, you know, here, here's the other thing I think that worked against him tremendously was he came from TNA where he was in shape. He was a fiery baby face and looked good. He came in probably 40 pounds heavier, but it wasn't 40 pounds of muscle and, you know, look good and hard. He came in flabby, he came in looking like crap. He really did. It was horrible. Yeah, nice guy. Got nothing against him. But you know you're coming in. You know you have this opportunity. Wouldn't you get in the best shape of your life? It's terrible. Couldn't You've, his ring work was was embarrassing. Uh, even more more embarrassing was his backstage work. He just couldn't do it. To my God, when when you when you hit a motherfucker with nice guy, but I just know now get both the goddamn shovels ready. Woof. Not. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm just telling you, he couldn't do promos and he was fat and his ring work sucks. But other than that, nice guy. Well, he was a nice guy. Hey, here's a, lot thing. Of, we, a lot of nice guys that, that'll never make it in this business. Well, he, here's the thing. You and I have had conversations in code on the show before about folks you've said who you felt like they were scared of success where they had been just phenomenal in TNA, but couldn't ever really quite get it in gear in WWE. And I'm wondering, do you think... Chris Harris, because we saw him do a bunch of promos in TNA and you're saying he couldn't get through one here in the WWE. Do you think the nerves just got to him? Like the bright lights are a real thing for some talent. Well, they had bright lights and well, maybe their lights weren't so bright in TNA. You know what I mean? It's a damn figure of speech for the quote unquote big time. Yeah. He couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. And I, I I just don't think he was capable of doing it. Like there wasn't even that. Hey man, if I just untap into this, there wasn't anything to tap into. Okay. Hey, uh, hats off to TNA for getting what they got out of him. And it's interesting after he left and came to us, what did he do? Did did he do anything else in the business ever? Yeah, I mean the TNA thing was probably his uh, the the peak of his. Right, but he didn't go back there, did he? Yeah, I think so. Did he not? I don't think he did. Yeah, he yeah he showed up. I mean, I don't think he did a bunch, but he he did a handful of things for him. Okay. I mean, and I know he used to he used to hang out there when I was there, but just he was always looking for a job, and I never. Um, I don't think yeah, that he like, ever worked while I was there at TNA. Does he owe you money? I don't remember you being this stiff on anybody. I'm not being stiff. I'm just being factual. It's just, uh, again, would I like to sit down and have a drink with him? Absolutely. Would yeah, I hire least. Would I hire him to be a performer? No, I wouldn't. All right. Uh, before we hurt that poor man. It's not like he was a lot like he was an asshole. A lot of assholes out there. That I was like, yeah, he was an asshole and couldn't work. This guy just. <laughs> <laughs> This guy was was just you know somebody that had showed a shitload of promise in TNA and had fire and had all this stuff, but when he came here, he came in out of shape and without 
really any ability. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. Well, Rob Van Dam had a bunch of ability, and he's using that ability in his interviews to bury the company. Once he's out here, he's doing media and saying how much he hated the company. He hates WWE. He hates they destroyed ECW. Did not enjoy his experience. Doesn't want to go back. Of course, we know he does go back. Uh, is Rob just in his feelings here? Is he blowing off steam, or is this just Rob being Rob? I think it's Rob being Rob. Yeah. Or anything. Or it's just you know, Rob gets like that sometimes. Uh, nothing malicious. Teddy Long is going to be the guy to uh, announce the uh, second Elimination Chamber match, which will feature The Undertaker, Big Daddy V, Batista, Finley, Great Kali, and MVP. Uh, and The Observer would say that uh, Hawkins and Ryder would beat Moore and Yang. Quote, it was a bad night for Hawkins and Ryder. They had to start the match three times. The first two times because they messed up the ring entrance. And then when they finally got the entrance right, one of them botched the very first spot. The fans were chanting boring and this had no heat. Of course, we think the world of these guys love what they're doing with their uh, figure adventures and their podcasts and all that jazz, but rough night at the office here. Do you remember this night? I don't. I love those guys. I yes. love the edgeheads. And that, that was just, that was so much fun to, to be able to do that. But uh, I think on their own didn't necessarily work. Your boy, Paul Burchill gets a tryout before SmackDown. Katie Burchill as his manager. And you know what this is leading to Bruce. Did anybody ever think this was a good idea? I mean, were you an advocate once upon a time? Uh, Katie thought it was a good idea. Yeah. That was about it. So we tried it. Well, you tried Nathan yeah. Jones too. It's, it's discussed here that you're going to open up negotiations to bring him back. I wanted to ask about that because when he left the first time, he walks out on the company during an overseas tour. He, it, this just didn't for him. No, thanks. I'm gone. And now we're having conversations about bringing him back. Is it just because of the look and the size of the story? Or is there more to it than that? Had a hell of a promo too. Um, Nathan had a great story, man. And he had that look that turned heads in airports. There was no serious, uh, discussion to have him come back. It was like, okay. You know, if you want to come back, we'll take a look at you. We're going to send you back down to developmental. And we're not paying to bring you back because we were on a, a tour of Australia, I believe it was. And uh, that's where he lived. And he just didn't come back. Nathan was, uh, Nathan was a little different, man. Nathan was in his own all by himself. Well, let's talk about the kiss my ass club. It seems like we're going to be getting a new member here. I ain't we, kissing your ass. We bring Hornswoggle out to do this. And of course, Finley comes out and is telling Swoggle not to do it. Eventually, as you might imagine, Swoggle does it. But he doesn't just kiss Vince's ass. He bites Vince in the ass 
this feels like this has Brian and Vince's fingerprints all over it. Well, what would you do? I don't what think would, I, what would you do if you were in, if your view 24 hours a day was of everyone's ass. Oh, I see. So you're saying this was the real life Hornswoggle's decision. Yeah. He went into business for himself. He got off script and he shoot. Well, I mean, that's, you can't trust him. Just saying you can't trust him. Can you imagine hypothetically if he had a conversation with a person who wasn't just entrenched in wrestling as a fan? Oh man, you just getting off work. Yeah. Long day at the office. Oh yeah. What'd you do? Well, I worked down at the hospital and had to pull a double today and boy, it was tough. How about you? Well, I had to bite my, my boss's ass on TV. That's I'd rather be biting the ass. Oh yeah, for sure. I'd rather bite the ass too. Bite the ass is a new shirt, by the way, over at uh, boxagimmicks.com. Uh, at any point, did you guys consider having a match with Vince McMahon versus fit Finley? We we considered it. Yes. Why didn't it happen? I don't think there was, you know, a lot of confidence that that Vin would be able to pull it off on the promo side of things. Can you imagine how great it would have been if, if that match happened and it was Hornswoggle on a pole? I wanted to do Hornswoggle on a pole so many times. Now here's not, not a match. I just wanted to put him up on the pole and leave. Him right. Up. Now you've also said that he is, I believe the phrase you used is bottom heavy. Oh, buddy. So I'm wondering, would the pole bend? Cause that Ooh. would be cool. If it was like a fishing, it rod. would have to be, it would have to be one of those, you know, giant, uh, you know, flag poles, the, yes. the big 80 footers, but only use the bottom, bottom part of it, you know, for about 10, 15 feet, real thick, thick part. Yeah. Did you guys ever seriously discuss putting Hornswoggle on a pole? Because it would have been a fucking. I seriously thing. did, but everybody else thought I was crazy. Vince didn't like that. That feels like a Vince thing. Yeah, no, that was a Bruce thing. Well, Charlie, Why didn't we put him on a pole. Yeah. You know what? I think if he woke up that morning and he knew he was going to be on a pole, he'd say to himself, "Self." I should start my day with a little athletic greens Got to, and you should start your day every day with athletic greens. And if you've been listening to our show for a while now, you know, it's a regular part of mine and Bruce's routine. And if you haven't tried it already, why not? I gave AG one a try at the start of the uh, pandemic. My wife wanted us to optimize our immune system. And now we've kept using it, man. We've experienced better gut health, more sustained energy. And just being honest, I don't really like taking pills or vitamins. And if I'm going to take a supplement, I want it to taste good. AG1 checks all the boxes. I take AG1 every morning. My wife does too. She does it on her way to work out. I do it because I really do feel like I could focus better at work. It makes me feel unstoppable. It makes me feel like I'm ready to take on the day. I'm giving the body that I'm carrying around here, the nutrition it craves. I'm covering all of my nutritional bases. And I believe you should try it. Seriously, everybody I've put this on really, really loves it. It's great for recovery. My wife uses it before she works out. She needs a boost. Boom. It's there. I've got other friends who do it for improved digestion. Digestion. I got a friend of mine who's a big runner. He does it before he goes running. It's also just good for comprehensive health and, and the power habit. I believe in AG1. I think you will too. And here's the reality. We're talking a lot about a lot of great athletes today here on the program. 
Here's what they all have in common. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that is optimizing whole body health. And a lot of the folks that you watch on TV every week, buddy, they're taking AG1 too. They're setting themselves up with success because they've got 75 high quality ingredients. They're going to give them the key daily nutrients and long-term gut health support. It's like a micro habit that delivers macro benefits. I'm telling you, it's that easy. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day, first thing in the morning, and you're done. Think of it as like your all-in-one nutritional insurance. It's less than three bucks a day. Pretty good deal, if you ask me. It's a comprehensive solution to what you need for your supplement routine. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash wrestle. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash wrestle. I love my athletic greens. Oh, everybody does. And we all love Charlie Haas. He's going to start doing a lucha gimmick and some dark matches here where he's going to get knocked out of the ring and then reemerge with a lucha mask on and eventually get a win. You're trying some things here. Yeah. What do you remember about this? I remember he loved tamales. And um, it was some trying something different. We're trying to give him some, uh, some personality. Do you think uh, with with this new character you guys were working on, did he have a name? Would he have had a catchphrase? Mm, he stinged on time. I don't know. I'm sorry. Did you did you <laughs> say that his catchphrase? Is stinged on time. So. Listen, man. Here's one thing I learned in Spanish. If you say anything with a Spanish accent, yes, pretty much, and and people will go like the the more beers I have, the better my Spanish becomes. Really? See. And so the (laughs) was he would put on the mask, and then it was go time. Like they were ringing the bell, and he time. Ding dong time. Ding dong time. See, it's ding dong time is a shirt now available over at boxagimmicks.com. My goodness. Uh, the next week on Raw, Vince if, is. If they still on here, he would, he would tell you all about that. So there is, there was this kid, man. Um, fuck Dwight DeRoe in grade school. And he used to get a quarter to stop at the stop and go after school, but he would wrap the quarter in his ding dong wrapper. The, you know, like the foil. Yeah. They used to come. I don't know how they come now. I haven't had a ding dong in many years. Uh, when was the last time you had a ding dong? You know what? I, I liked uh, the hostess cupcakes. I didn't like the ding dongs. I don't think I really ever, I don't, maybe I never even had one, but they came in foil. And he right. would unwrap the foil and put his quarter in there so that he wouldn't lose it. Fuck that did. I don't know why I even said that, but he's sting no time. Is a shirt now available at boxagimmicks.com? Uh, you definitely need your ding dong time. See? Uh it's ding dong time the next week for Vince McMahon. He is furious. He's had his ass bitten on television. He needed his ass kissed, and since there was a bite, he's gonna demand a match. 
a no DQ match against Hornswoggle. It's Vince versus a little person on Monday Night Raw. Vince is going to challenge Hornswoggle to a test of strength. Then he's going to dare Hornswoggle to slap him. When he finally does, as you see, if you're watching over on YouTube, Vince takes off his belt and is about to start lashing on Hornswoggle when Finley finally comes out. Vince tells Finley if he does anything, he'll fire him and your family doesn't want that to happen and blah, blah, blah. My goodness. Eventually, Finley hits Vince with the shillelagh. Hornswoggle comes off the top of the tadpole splash for the pin. Vince versus a little person who had more fun here. I probably (laughs) probably me. Is everyone in the back gathered around the monitor because they can't believe what Vince is doing? That everybody's got to watch this. Well, it was good entertainment, no doubt. It was great. The main event of this same episode. Everybody wanted to beat Hornswoggle's ass. Let me just say that back in the day. Really? He had heat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Especially with me. And why did he have heat with you? He's evil, little son of a gun. Mean. Mean and evil. William Wrinkle didn't trust him at all. And Big Show was scared of him, right? Big Show was scared of him. Yeah. So is that other guy that, that was scared of him? Who? I don't know. There's some guy that we kept having a hornswoggle go and hug. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We don't, we don't talk about him. Yeah. Uh, hey, there's I'm a thirty. I'm not there, so I said some guy. I, even though I really don't know his name. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I love I you for that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a main event on Raw, 30 minutes here. Jeff Hardy and Shawn Michaels. This is a big time match. Uh, Jeff gets the win clean after a twist of fate and a swan towing. It's got to be one of the biggest and most important matches and moments in Jeff Hardy's career. I believe, you know? Sure. And, and, you know, again, this was kind of taking two of the quintessential heartthrobs of, of their time in Shawn and Jeff and putting them together in the similar styles, but yet very different. And Sean did a, did a great job with Jeff as far as getting him through it and having that great match that every, I think everybody was expecting this monumental match And to me, they got it. Right. Uh, It was tremendous. It's like, why didn't we do this sooner? After a uh, successful decade of SmackDown on UPN and the CW, the agreement comes to an end. No deal is made here for SmackDown. And there's a a statement that comes out where they're saying that they were grateful to Les Moonves and the entire organization for bringing SmackDown to millions of viewers for so many years. Were you kind of surprised that, that a deal wasn't made? And did you ever think that the future of SmackDown was in jeopardy? No, I never thought it was in jeopardy. It was, I don't know that CW was doing us a whole lot of favors. Right. Because it didn't, most markets, CW is usually number five out of five of the networks. So it, it just, it was hard to find. And I think perception wise was that we were on a lesser than channel, even, even if we, uh, even on cable, I think people would have looked at cable cable more favorably than they looked at CW. 
So for us, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air to be off of CW and to be able to move away from that for a while. Let's talk about the other thing that uh, is a big decision, a big shift, if you will. You're going to end your affiliation with OVW on February 7th. And Al Snow's time with the company also ends because everything is transferred officially to Florida Championship Wrestling. What do you remember about why the OVW thing came to an end and, and now we're going to Florida? Well, I hated it. Um, I always liked the different training facilities because I felt that the talent was exposed to different trainers and different audiences. So what works in Louisville, Kentucky may not work in Tampa, Florida. What works in Tampa, Florida may not work in Louisville, Kentucky. What works in Louisville that may not, you know, work in Los Angeles and or New York. So I was always a proponent of having different developmental territories all over the country with different different style trainers, but obviously you had different audiences to play to. Every, you know, when you did live events, you could play to a different audience that was used to something different, be able to give a, a different feel and a different reaction. So having everything under one roof with just one vision versus multiple training facilities with multiple visions in multiple ways. If a trainee could go to all of those, then I feel that they would learn and be more rounded than just going to one place. Right. Well, something that I know you were a big advocate of and you wanted in one place, which was on your TV is Vicky and edge and boy, SmackDown really advances that story. The show ends with the entire ring covered with hearts and flowers and an orchestra playing music. Edge is going to ask Vicky to come out. Teddy Long's going to wheel her out. She's in a wheelchair here. And then Edge gets down on one knee, asks her to marry him. Eventually, Mysterio comes out and says, Hey, I hope now you'll stop disgracing the Guerrero name, which I guess means her new name is going to be Vicky Edge, which makes me laugh. Uh, eventually there's some physicality. Wouldn't you know it between edge and Ray Mysterio. <laughs> and this is pretty awesome. Ray takes out Vicky here, which is amazing. She gets stretchered out. Vicky is like the unsung hero of these segments though. Is she not? Absolutely tremendous. Yes. You know, when you think of taking a mother housewife, and Vicky Guerrero, which yes. was what she did. She loved raising her kids and, you know, she loved Eddie and had no, I don't know that she had a desire before to perform, but holy cow, if there was ever anybody that took to it as naturally as Vicky did and just, she not only took to it, she excelled when put in that, position so to me vicky guerrero was an unbelievable performer one of one of the absolute best performers i've ever had the opportunity to work with because again she was genuine she was willing to do any and everything to get the story over had no qualms about it 
and just went out, performed, and killed it at every single stage. Compare her promos to Chris Harris's. Yeah, no. Whereas I could go do like six backstages with Vicky and do an in-ring with Vicky and have the dark match, we would still be doing the pre-tape with the other guy. You're just hurtful today. Uh, the WWE's Dude, gonna- not everybody makes it. It, it. It's not all fucking goddamn roses and kisses and all that shit. I mean... Well, it's not all little people kissing your ass. It's different. Or biting it. Or biting it. Uh, you guys do a tour of Korea and Japan. I know you like going to Japan. Did you say sign me up for that one? Or I think I'll- I would have loved to have gone. I, I yeah, I love Asia just in general. I, I love Hong Kong, Japan. Never been to Korea. Never been to Singapore or anything like that. But I'd love I love the area very much. So the investors call happens around this time, and it's revealed that 2007 was the most profitable year for the company ever. Of course, that's a record you guys have broken many times, including this past year. Uh, did it feel as if after all the time you had been in the company, like as a fan, it felt like you were hotter in the eighties. It felt like you were hotter in the late nineties. You're there, you know, the dollars are telling the story. Did you feel as if, Hey man, we're, uh, we're on a roll right now. Yeah. And look, it was a different company. The company had grown the company had become public and, the company grew leaps and bounds every year to just be much more than a wrestling promotion. It was a worldwide juggernaut and it was something that, you know, investors were behind and we were able to, you know, parlay that into pretty good profitable years. It's, it's different. um, Which is why I, I, I just, you can only laugh at, the uh, the gossip monger sheet writers that give you, well, you know, we must analyze this because this is the way that Fritz von Erich did it in 1979. This, this isn't a wrestling promotion run out of your garage. This is a major media conglomerate, okay? Um, it's, it's, it's just completely different. It grew and it, and it grew by leaps and bounds. And it, it wasn't just a, you know, it never was really, you know, just a wrestling company. And, you, no coined, doubt. you know, you coined the term sports entertainment and that that's what it was all about. Another big move here is the change in action figures. You're going to go from a switch where you're using Jack specific to Mattel. Mattel of course is a monster brand. And you're getting in business with them, but at the same time, you're doing business with Playboy, which I want to talk about in a moment here. But before I do, what did you think about the switch from Jack specific to Mattel? Did that feel like leveling up to you because Mattel was such a brand? Absolutely. Yeah, it was when, when you think of the toy business in general, you think of Mattel, you think of Hasbro. I don't think Jack's was in that conversation uh, when it came to, you know, sports entertainment figures and things of that nature, that's to me, what made Jax. Right. Well, there's no arguing that, uh, that they were the bigger company. I mean, I think 
you know, they do billions of dollars a year. Right. And I think Jack specific is more like hundreds of millions. Um, right. And also the, the ability for uh, sponsorships and things of that nature that you have that you couldn't have realized with Jack's. Let's talk about Playboy here for a moment. You know, when you have an association with a big magazine like that, back when magazines were a thing, but Playboy is a a huge brand on its own, Uh, certainly a lifestyle brand, different, uh, probably not doing the revenue that Mattel is, but still you have something that's really aimed towards children and something that's really aimed towards adults. Are you sort of half pregnant here? I mean, we've heard that we're going to, we're going to start using the phrase, the PG era Playboy was certainly not a part of the PG era. Mattel is, were you a company in transition here or did you feel like you were winding down the Playboy thing or just talk us through that? We were winding down the Playboy association. And again, we were in transition. We were transitioning to a more PG themed product. Um, So it was winding down the Playboy partnership. It was also, you know, during time and I, and Forgive me because I don't know the uh, exact time frames, but there there was a point in time where we were negotiating to actually purchase Playboy. Wow! So, um, you know that was that was an interesting time as well. There's a storyline here uh, that uh, Ashley, the previous year's model for Playboy, is going to get a call from Hugh Hefner and start trying to recruit Maria Canellis for the 2008 issue. Uh, we know, of course, that's going to go on to happen. If you're watching on YouTube, you see her cover there. Um, this is a big opportunity for the individual talent and the company. It's going to get a lot of coverage and a lot of attention. And do you think overall the, the Playboy relationship was a net positive? I do. Yeah. I think that anytime that you could be on newsstands in front of the public, whether they bought it or not, when you would walk by a newsstand and you're, you're in an airport or you're even in some grocery stores that would sell Playboy, you would see your stars on the cover, whether they bought it or not, they saw those stars on the cover of Playboy. And that was like, Oh, Hey, wow. Um, that's huge celebrity. So yeah, I think it was great partnership while it lasted. It's, uh, it's crazy to think, you know, that these days you guys could have a partner like we do here on the show, blue chew. Of course, if you've got those old playboys, maybe you don't need any blue chew, but maybe the rest of us every now and again, we'll want to put on a little performance. You know what I mean? You see blue chew is not just for guys who think they have a problem. This is for guys who are looking to leave a lasting impression. Great friend of the show, Cassio kid. We were all in our group chat the other day talking about what we got our gals for Valentine's Day. He said he gave her the gift of Blue Chew. She said, what the hell got into you? It's the gift that keeps on giving. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredient as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Take these dudes anytime, day or night. So plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. And y'all, this process is so simple. Number one, sign up at bluechew.com. Number two, consult with one of their licensed medical providers. And number three, once you're approved, you'll get your prescription in a few days. It's going to be prepared and shipped to your door, all in a discreet package. It's made right here in the USA. But here's the best part. It's all online. No visits to the doctor's office. No awkward conversation. No waiting in line at the pharmacy. 
just letting those good times roll. If you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. Have better sex, y'all. I've got a special deal for you right now. Check this out. Try Blue Chew free. When you use our promo code WRESTLE, just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code WRESTLE hooks you up to get your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring today's podcast. Cast. Bruce, you got a Blue Chew dance? Let's see that Blue Chew dance. When your ding dong gets hard. There you go. You got to go take a look at this, boys and girls. You got to see Bruce dancing. You might not even need Blue Chew. It, things will just start moving. I'm turgid right now. Hell. Bluechew.com. Use the promo code WRESTLE. He just did the Pulp Fiction shit, y'all. How about that? All right, let's talk about the shit. There you go. Uh, I'm sure nobody down in Nashville needed a little blue chew because TNA actually beats ECW in the ratings for the very first time. And of course, TNA is very, very proud of this. They've, they've actually beaten a WWE product in the ratings. Uh, how did you and Vince react to that news that they actually beat a show? Kind of like that. I mean, you know, okay, they, they beat a show, but it wasn't wasn't anything that was consistent or anything that continued on. I don't think um I know we don't talk about current stuff, but I could a lot of people would draw the comparison to whenever another promotion might have better ratings than NXT. That's kind of the third brand of WWE behind Raw and SmackDown. ECW was kind of that back then, right? Fifteen years ago there was Raw, no, there was, was that. Yeah, and then there was ECW, it was the third brand, yeah. Yep. Uh, the company is going to post their wellness policy on their corporate website, which features modifications and changes dealing with all the issues with Congress investigating all the uh, ins and outs, of the Chris Benoit murders. Um, listen, no other way to say it. It's, uh, it's something you guys have to navigate through and the wellness policy is going to be forever changed. It's continued to evolve. It evolved after Eddie Guerrero. It evolved after Chris Benoit. Uh, and, and the wellness policy, just as we learn more about things like CTE and chair shots and head shots and, you know, all that stuff, it, this is almost like a living, breathing document that evolves as we learn, right? Absolutely. And, and just to have one, you know, when you think back in time where there, there wasn't one in this right. industry and to actually have a policy that you can say, yeah, Hey, here is our policy. Is it perfect? No. However, it is completely fluid. You know, it, it, it evolves as you learn new things. And again, I, I look at the fact that coming, you know, from the business in the 70s to now and go, wow, how far have we come? Uh, huge step. That, that was a big step. And I think that uh, from the very first time that, they did drug testing, which was in 1987. You know, it, it, it has continued to evolve. Let's talk a little bit about um, another talent here. Um, Angelina Fong. She used to be a cheerleader for the Canadian Football League. Uh, then she joined the Miami Heat Club to do their uh, cheerleading. She enters the 2006 Diva Search. Eventually she starts working for WWE, I think in 2008 here, and she would become the backstage interviewer for ECW in 09. 
but she tried her hand at being a wrestler. Any memories of Angelina Fong and, and why maybe she didn't work out? Never heard of her. Okay. And I mean, she may have been there, but I do not recall. Don't don't recall that name. Couldn't pull her out of a lineup. Uh, was her in-ring crap? Did she show up uh, 40 pounds heavy and flabby and do a lot of bad pre-tapes? I would have remembered her if she had not. <laughs> if she had been in shape somewhere else and then in in a you know working in a flea market and then came to the show and showed up out of shape and then able to put sentences together, yeah, I definitely probably would have remembered that. I um I don't have Chris Harris's cell phone number, but I need to get it and just call and apologize to him in advance. Why? I don't know. Just whew. why? Uh he knows. Seriously, no, I don't know. You, he you knows. Think, Listen, you think this is just shitting on somebody? You keep bringing it up, and well, I keep just stating the facts. And the facts are, and, and he knows why it didn't work out. He understands that he should have come back in better shape. He knows that he didn't make the most out of that opportunity. So don't put that shit on me because I'm just telling <laughs> the truth. Don't put that shit on I'm me. Sure, I'm sure if you were to talk to him, he would say the same thing. That he wasn't ready for it. That he didn't cut. That he didn't take the time to get in better shape, and then he came in and he was not ready for the opportunity. Bruce, I'm just trying to bust your balls. Now. I'm not trying to bust his. Uh, Chuck Palumbo is getting a push. He's squashing guys like Jamie Noble and Michelle McCool, looking on in horror as this happens. Palumbo is uh, is here at this point. Like I don't know, six seven years after the invasion. Why, why, uh, I mean, besides the, the Billy and Chuck tag team, which clearly worked, he doesn't feel like he really has much other success in the company, but it feels like he checks a lot of the boxes. Did he just lack momentum? Was there not, what was the, what was missing again? I think it was hard to get Chuck's real personality on TV. When the red light came on, you didn't get you know, the, the Chuck Palumbo that we all saw backstage and loved. And, you know, he was a guy that loved motorcycles, very personable, actually in shape, actually could put some sentences together. Um, but he, uh, couldn't, you know, man, didn't click on camera for whatever reason. And built like a Greek God, man. You look at it, if you were going to, do a drawing of what your ideal athlete would look like. You'd probably draw Chuck Palumbo. Just didn't click. Let's talk about something else that's not clicking. Steve Austin, he's going to do an interview uh, with the Miami Herald, and he admits here that he turned down a spot for the upcoming WrestleMania here in 2008. Do you remember what that spot would have been, or was it more a matter of what does he want to do if we can get him to commit? You know, there there were so many with Steve where we would really like to have Steve. I think there's always the desire to have Steve Austin a part of what you're doing. Sure. So to say I remember what that was in 2008, I have absolutely no idea. But there was always a pitch for Steve. No matter what it was, he's clearly not happy here. Uh, in this course of this interview, he says that he thinks Kennedy would become a big star if WWE wouldn't have screwed him up. And he even says that 
he's the guy who came up with the flair winning streak at the last year's WrestleMania. He was upset that the company wasn't doing more with flair and he wasn't pleased with the creative and the fact that sort of flair's doing almost like a farewell tour retirement tour, but it's not pushed as that. <clears throat> yes, it's happening, but it's not promoted as, you know, maybe the way we would see Kobe Bryant on his retirement tour, every every town he went to, people were excited. This is his last time in Atlanta. This is his last time in New York. This is his last, whatever. We don't really promote it that way. And Austin's pretty upset about that. What do you, what do you make of Austin being in the paper, being critical of creative for both flair and Kennedy here? Well, first of all, it wasn't his retirement tour. Now we all know that. However, Storyline wise, was Rick was wrestling, and if Rick lost a match, he was done. Right. And he would retire. So, how do you advertise? Hey, this is Rick Flair's last time here. It's his retirement tour. When you're building to WrestleMania for a big match with Sean, again, if he loses, he retires. Every match had that stipulation on it. I don't know how you get, you know, more important than that, that was a stipulation on everything that Rick worked. So to say, hey, this is Rick's, hey, folks, Rick's going to lose this match to Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. So it's your last chance to see him. That makes sense. That's stupid. Why would so you do that? So you're saying Stone Cold stupid? I didn't say Stone Cold stupid. You did. How did I say he was stupid? I didn't say he was stupid. I That's heard you say it. That's not true. The clip is going to be you saying it, not me. It will not. Unless, yeah, that, well. unless that Joe guy's doing AI with our goddamn voices again. Yeah, well. Hey, uh, let's talk about No Way Out. Uh, but before we do, we should mention that Rey Mysterio actually tears his bicep over in South Africa uh, or South America. Easy for me to say. The deal is... Clearly you were trying to set him up with something hot with, with edge and Vicky. And that could have been really, really fun. Is this just the worst possible timing getting hurt right before WrestleMania like this? <laughs> yes. Yes. Getting hurt anytime is horrible timing, but yeah, unfortunately for Ray right before WrestleMania is a terrible time. Let's talk about the show. Huge success here. Sold out at the Thomas and Mack center here in Las Vegas. SRO signs went out early 90,000 hanging from the rafters folks. And as you see on the poster, if you're watching over on YouTube, you see Jeff Hardy in chains and the crazy hair on the poster with the elimination chamber in the background. It feels as if the company is about to lean heavily into Jeff Hardy. Before the show opens in front of an $800,000 gate, it's Kane and Shelton Benjamin in a dark match. And, uh, the readers of the wrestling observer really dug this show. They gave it 75.6% thumbs up. Ooh, First it. up it's a bad match. Bad show. Those are the, the, the readers, the fans. Yeah, I know. They usually, whenever his readers like something, it's really horrible. Or vice versa. By the way, I know we don't talk about current stuff. But did you see that WWE won the Wrestling Observer Award for worst promotion of the year? Yeah. No, because that, that's kind of like... Uh, is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your entire... Like, how is the biggest company and their most profitable year ever the worst promotion? When everyone's saying the creative is better than ever and blah, 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 blah. Like, what? Consider the source. Yeah. 
consider, I, the, consider the source of a gossip monger in California who doesn't deal in facts and doesn't deal in, you know, um, so, well, you know, if the best promotion was, I'm not even going to get into today's shit because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, his, his viewpoint on the business today is more warped and skewed and completely incoherent and wrong as it was back then. Well, just the, guy, so you know. the guys never, the, the only difference is, is now more people have an opportunity to call him out and expose him as the, the liar that he is. I just want to make sure that you understand He's not the person who gives those awards. I, he, but it's his, it's his fan base that he skews that he will go on and say, "Oh, this is the greatest thing." You know, uh, Koichi Yoshizawa is a, you oh, come know, on now. had had an eighteen star match in the Tokyo Dome that nobody could ever match. Well, great in Tokyo, that's probably a really big deal, man, and probably was the best match in in that nation worldwide, though. How many people saw that match or knows of that talent? And that's what you have to look at when you're looking at, you know, a business like ours is worldwide, globally, how many people see the product that is produced by WWE? How many people see the product that is produced by NOAA or All Japan or New Japan? Those numbers, come on, please. Let's get to it. Chavo Guerrero is going to retain the ECW title, pinning CM Punk in seven minutes and six seconds. The crowd's going to pop for Punk's ring entrance, but they're pretty quiet for the match. Uh, they got a star and a half. Guerrero is going to get a clean pin with a frog splash. The three amigos, their booing, are done by Punk here, which is crazy when you look back at it. Um, I don't know, man. The, the, the idea that this match, that the crowd wasn't with this match with two capable in-ring performers here. I mean, it feels like that'd be a good first match on any show. Chavo Guerrero and CM Punk and the fans just aren't with it. Are some crowds trickier than others? And does, sure. the, does the time of day always affect those West Coast shows, do you think? Look, I think that there's a lot of things that can affect the, the audience. How long did they wait to get into the venue? How long were they there? Um, just a lot of things, you know, sometimes it's just not on. So as far as the match, good God, please. Tremendous match. And you, you know, you got to look at that. And again, it's just stated, you know, on a global basis, when you, when you look at it from, from outside of that bubble, uh, excellent match. Next up, we got Mike Adamley interviewing Ray Mysterio backstage about his torn bicep and how it's going to affect him in his match with Edge. And it gets cut short because Floyd Mayweather makes his first WWE appearance. And the newsletters would say the plan had been for Mysterio and Mayweather versus Big Show and Shane McMahon. But of course, when this whole thing happens uh, with the, uh, the torn bicep, Ray's going to have to have surgery on February 22nd. Do you think that match would have been better? Instead of just Big Show versus Floyd, if it was Mysterio and Mayweather versus Big Show and Shane, where you really have one quote unquote non wrestler, would that have made no. a more entertaining match than what we got? No. Okay. And again, I don't. I don't think it would have been a better attraction either. 
because you've got, you know, David and Goliath with Mayweather and Big Show. And I thought that Mayweather did a hell of a job in in the match. So there's that too. Of course, I just want to remind everybody that we're fresh off of the biggest boxing pay-per-view of all time, which was Floyd Mayweather versus Oscar De La Hoya. And, and that happened the prior year on Cinco de Mayo. I only mentioned that. That's May 5th. Yes, correct. See, you, you don't, you said earlier that you didn't speak Spanish. Okay. Sorry. Cinco de Mayo. Uh, Shane McMahon allegedly, according to the rumor and innuendo pitched Ray Mysterio teaming up with Oscar de la Hoya, which I really like the sound of to be a tag team against Floyd Mayweather jr. And a partner. That feels fun, but of course, yeah. Oscar allegedly turns it down. Do you remember that being pitched? Because what a creative idea that would have been. God, you know, I can go back to the late nineties, you know, mid to late nineties pitching. You know, Oscar was another one that we'd pitch all the time. Friend, of, you know, friend of the company, friend of the business and uh great businessman, great guy. Holy shit. Um, and it just never, it just never really worked out. I don't think that, I don't think Oscar had the same passion to, to make that jump into the wrestling business. I think that he was like, Hey man, I, I know, I know my comfort area. I know my comfort zone. Let's talk about the next match. This is going to be uh, a different type of match undertaker in an elimination chamber match, getting the win over great Kali Batista. MVP, Big Daddy V, and Fit Finley. Uh, crowd was quiet for this one, according to Meltzer. Um, most of the match is Batista and Undertaker. Undertaker gets the win. What do you think of this? I mean, you're doing an elimination chamber as the second match on the show. What a cast of characters, man. I want to run through it again. Undertaker, Great Kali, Batista, MVP, Big Daddy V, Fit Finley. Talk me through it. What'd you think? Uh, I thought it was not good. It's not. And it just, it doesn't feel like there's enough story going into it. Is that fair no, to say? It was, yeah, it was just, you know, six people. Yes. In a match. We had the, the match in, in, the a structure that you can, in, in a structure that you can't really work that well in. Right. And it was. It was just a, uh, yeah, it's just kind of a match. Not good at all. Not good at all. And, and having, having big daddy B and Kali in there even yeah, hinders it even more, unfortunately. So there were a lot, there were a lot of reasons for that. Just, it didn't, didn't flow. A couple of highlights from the match. Uh, the undertaker is trying to use his, uh, submission maneuver. I think they're calling it hell's gate. Uh, it's an MMA move where they're even having guys, you know, quote unquote, bleed from the mouth, but I don't think the fans are with it. It's they want a choke slam. They want a tombstone. They don't really want that finish. Would you agree with that? I would. I think that a, you know, submission finishes, especially a, you know, like a, a choke out or something like that, where someone passes out. Right. To me, it's a boring finish. Only people, because there's no drama in it. Right. And it's, you know, uh... right. 
there's no fighting. There's no oh shit, oh, god damn it, ah shit, fuck, okay, enough. Um, so that yeah, not a big fan. Well, we know that uh, we would see a big choke slam here. MVP gets choke slammed off the top of a pod, which is is quite a spectacle here. The Undertaker choke slamming MVP off the top. We also see uh, Batista try to do a shoulder breaker or maybe a Davy Boy Smith type power slam. Undertaker reverses it, tombstone, clean pin. Meltzer would describe it as uh, the second weakest elimination chamber match the WWE's put on. That's kind of hard to argue here at this point. Just wasn't good. Awesome and this was not good. Yeah, just it just wasn't good. There was, there was really no. Um, it wasn't people complimenting styles and complimenting each other. It just didn't, to me, didn't feel like uh, it really went together. It was more just, hey, we've got big stars. Let's put them all in here and see what we get. Next up, we see a great vignette for WrestleMania. It's a Baywatch theme where we got Kelly Kelly as a lifeguard on duty. Uh, she's uh, going to try, try to save a, a heavy set fellow who's pretending to drown. And right before he's about to get the old mouth-to-mouth resuscitation from Kelly, May Young tags in and says, I'll take it from here. Pretty creative little copy here. Uh, is, is this you? Is this Vince? Is this Brian? This is funny stuff. No, it was TV studio doing their magic. Well, let's talk about the Playboy Mansion. There's some magic that's happened there over the years. Yeah, baby. Maria are going to be appearing from the Playboy Mansion here. Is this something you volunteer to go help out with? Uh, yeah, I never made any of these parties. While dealing with them, I got invited one time to... Uh, the movie night and didn't, I didn't go. Thank God, you know, I forget what the hell was happening, but I I know I had, it was one of those I had to get home and didn't stay for it. I got the playboy bottles of water and things like that and a bunch of stuff. But uh, to this day, I kind of regret not being able to, to just go to one of those, one of those parties. And I, I want to say they were going to watch like the Godfather or something that night. And it was, it was an older movie and it was one that I hadn't seen or hadn't seen in a while. And I was like, this could be a fun night. And I went home. Next up, Ric Flair beating Mr. Kennedy in seven minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, Meltzer doesn't hate it, uh, but he doesn't love it. Gives it two and a quarter stars. A figure four in the win- in the middle of the ring gets the win for Rick, so his career is still alive. Uh, in hindsight, do you like that storyline for Rick, or would you have preferred a different one? I did like the storyline for Rick, again, because it gave it longevity. It yes. gave every single match that he had meaning. Tonight could be the night. This could be the last time you see Ric Flair. To me, that's more intriguing than, hey, here's his, you know, this is retirement. This is the last time you're going to see him. Could be. You could you could witness history here tonight, folks. Next up, we see Ric's last match. Don't. We already saw that. Yeah, several times. At least three. Oh. Uh, Maybe more. Finley's in the trainer's room and uh, he's ailing from his elimination chamber match loss. And Vince is coming in to taunt him to say that tomorrow night 
I'm going to take on Hornswoggle in a steel cage match. Yes, that's right. Vince versus Hornswoggle in a steel cage match being promoted for Raw. Uh, then we see Edge pin Rey Mysterio in five and a half minutes to retain the world title. Edge is going to be working on the bad arm mostly, throwing him into the ring steps. Mysterio selling the arm strong, and I don't know how much is actually selling because he's hurting for certain. He uses a moonsault block for a near and uh, a near fall, and later a six one nine. And Meltzer would say just doing that move with the torn bicep had to really hurt. The finish sees Mysterio come off the top of the springboard, but Edge hits him with a spear. And you know, two talented guys, but working with some uh, limitations here. Yeah, star and a quarter. Yeah. A lot of a lot of a lot of props for Ray though for making the date, you know. Yeah, and also I thought it was a damn good match. Yeah, he had a good story, and again, hats off to Ray to actually go in and have that match and do everything that he was able to do. So kudos, kudos to both of those guys to Ray for being in the match and not saying, "Oh no, I'm injured," and to Edge for being able to pull off what he did with Ray and not hurt him anymore. After the match, we uh, we see Big Show return. He cuts a, a huge babyface promo. He's going to reveal that he's lost 108 pounds. This is the guy who had walked away from WWE, said he was going to you know, try to become a boxer, and he even worked a show with Hulk Hogan in Memphis and, and doing media for that show. He talked about giving up his quote-unquote slave name of Big Show. And now not only is he back, but he's working with a celebrity you think he had any heat in the locker room coming back after all the negativity or is everybody just understands, Hey man, that's just what you do in the biz. I don't necessarily know there was any heat with big show. I think that, uh, some guys think that that's, you know, people think that's what you do. I don't get it. You, you work somewhere and you, you're there for a long time. I, I just don't understand the, the bashing. Um, if you had a great time there, I mean, if you, and if it was good, if it was that bad, then why didn't you leave? Um, so I was happy to have him back. Cause he's, he's a hell of an attraction, a hell of a talent. We're building here the big moment because it looks like he's doing a babyface promo, but right as the officials are trying to help escort Ray to the back, who's clearly hurt and the fans know he's hurt. Big Show's going to attack Ray right in front of Floyd Mayweather. And Show's going to bring Ray into the ring and threaten to choke slam him. All of Floyd Mayweather's entourage is trying to hold Floyd back. Show's going to lift him in the air, provoking Mayweather to jump the barricade and gets in the ring. And now they face off. Really David and Goliath style here. Big Show shoves Mayweather and then goes down on one knee, teasing like, okay, I'll come down to your height. Mayweather hits him with a stiff right fist and flees the ring. Chaos ensues. Show is spitting blood. Shane McMahon is here in a suit trying to calm Big Show down. This is uh, a heck of an angle, and you've you've teased us with a story about this before. Tell us what happened here. Well, yeah, look, man. You have an outsider. You have somebody like Floyd Mayweather and with Big Show. Um He's got a big nose. So some folks might have told Mayweather, hey, man, you know, you got one shot at this, and it looks like you're pulling shit. They're going to just crap all over this. You got to go. And he says, are you sure it's all right? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's all right. Um, you know, show tells a story he told him. Oh, yeah, go ahead and hit me. It'll be great. Um, that wasn't the case, at least not that I was privy to. And afterwards, he was a pissed off giant. So, yeah, you, if you watch it, man, you see Mayweather, bam, break his nose and bam, send it back the other way. And show's nose afterwards was just bloodied all up and all crooked and ugly. Yeah, there you go. Just nice and nice and ugly. But that's, you know, man, that, that's a sports center moment. You know, here's here's the big show. Look at look at that nose, man. It's all over here, just sideways. And you can't you can't deny that. You look at the footage and you see you see where he breaks it. It's good stuff. So it's got everybody talking. Well, it does. How was uh how was Big Show after he calmed down? I think that once he calmed down and everybody told him how great it was, that he was fine. You know, it's just the initial reaction. You know, look, man, you sit there and you give somebody your face, you know, and not really sure, man. This guy's a professional boxer and sitting there, you know, next to a Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson. Holy cow, man. I'd never want to take a punch from that guy. On, on a dare that just the, the, the power Mike is a different type of puncher though. Um, Mike's a killer. Mayweather was a boxer's boxer, man. He, he was just pure to me. I think the greatest, just the greatest of all time, as far as boxing and he wasn't a fighter. He's a boxer. There's a difference. Okay. Tyson was a fighter. Tyson was a brawler. Tyson was a fighter. Floyd is a boxer, man. He he understands that sweet science and he is so freaking smooth and just so good. He will pick you apart and take you apart. And his thing is, is he's going to outbox. He's going to outscore you. And if he needs to, he'll knock your ass out. But watching him and listening to him and he would, you know, bam, and just shadow box and there would be a snap and a pop that when he would throw that you'd go, holy cow. And you'd feel the wind when this guy is just shadow boxing next to you. And it was incredible. And the way that Floyd picked up our business and his dedication to train and to do everything in the business was second to none. So I love Floyd Mayweather. I'm glad to hear it, man. I, um, I thought one of the great things that happened on this show as weird of a duo as it is, Jonathan coachman and Michael Cole, I never really loved their stuff uh, together. I, did, I felt like they didn't jail. I've enjoyed coaches stuff before I've enjoyed Cole's before. I just think together, they probably both had better dance partners at different times. But um, when they lay out here for this moment, it somehow feels bigger. Is that you or Vince giving that that direction on headsets to lay out for a moment like this? Yeah, shut up. Let let me feel. Right. And and that that's an art. You gotta you gotta know as commentator and play by play guy when to just shut up. 
Feel what's happening in front of you. Look at you. Know, let the let the audience decide whether that's a, oh my god, rather than you telling me it's an oh my god, or oh my god, he hit it with a left and a right left. I saw that. I saw. I got eyes. I'm watching. It's TV. It's not radio. So to me, when whenever a commentator can just lay out so much more powerful than blabbering over every second of every show. Let's talk about the, uh, the next match. It's our co-main event. Maybe it's even been promoted as the main event. John Cena's back and he's challenging uh, for the world title here early, not WrestleMania, but here and no way out against Randy Orton. Mike Kyoto is our referee. Meltzer would say it was apparent that Cena was nowhere close to 100%. But the match is built in such a way where they're trying to mask that. And ultimately, we get an RKO on the floor. Orton's going to slide in the ring and tell the referee, Mike Kyoto, count him out. Somehow, someway, Cena barely makes it in and starts to come back. And out of nowhere, Randy Orton slaps the referee, who immediately calls for the DQ. Meltzer would say that's a lame finish for a $40 advertised main event. Of course, the post-match would see Cena lay Orton out with the FU, but still a returning Cena returning early, trying to hype up this pay-per-view for the world title, a referee slap. I love Mike Kyoto. Love me some Randy Orton, but this maybe isn't the best finish. Although I guess from a heels perspective, it is smart. Play devil's advocate. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Not crazy about it, but I think it worked. And, and again, it's, you know, from a heel point of view. Yeah. That's why wouldn't you do that? I'm going to keep my championship. I'm just going to, you know, blatantly nail the referee and referee's got to disqualify me and I'm going to keep, let him have the win, but I'm going to keep the championship. Uh, I think could have been done a little more creatively, but at the same time, that's what Randy Orton would do. So uh, I thought that uh, uh, I thought it was fine. Next up, it's our real main event. It's going on last and uh, Triple H is going to win the Raw Elimination Chamber over Jeff Hardy, JBL, Umaga, Shawn Michaels, and Chris Jericho. Meltzer would say they were running way late here by this point. And the show ended up going 15 minutes later than usual. And that's with them shaving five minutes uh, or, or shaving the five minute periods in between each chamber just to, to make it happen. They get 23 minutes and 54 seconds here. Michaels and Jericho start tons of great wrestling here. Unfortunately, there's something bad happening with the timing and accidentally, we suppose Chris Jericho busts open, uh, Sean Michaels, the hard way with an elbow, Sean is bleeding everywhere. Eventually there's a chair involved and, uh, we get some, some, some chair shots on Jericho. Who's now pouring blood too. So there's a lot of blood here. The crowd is hot for Jeff Hardy. They're ready for him. We got that monster Umaga in there. There are lots of double team spots. As you've seen on the, the video here at something and uh, Jeff Hardy kicking out of the pedigree gets one of the biggest pops of the night. He's going to uh, then use a low blow and a twist of fate, but Triple H kicks out. 
He's going to try a twist of fate on a chair that Triple H had brought in, but Triple H blocks it and uses the pedigree on the chair and he gets the win. And as is customary, whenever a baby face wins, they get the wide shot to show the crowd going bananas, but they're not. They're just still, they really wanted Jeff Hardy to win this triple H did. If you had it to do over again, do you think you would have pulled the trigger here with Jeff or why was that not the right call? If you still believe that Hunter was the guy, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, wouldn't have done it with Jeff at that time. Because, because I think that when the audience has to wait, sometimes it's better. Yes. Patience. Yes. Yes. And you'll like it that much more when it actually happens. Well, the show is a success in terms of buy rate, 256,000 buys in North America, 365,000 worldwide. The same show a year before did 135,000 buys. So we threw everything in the kitchen sink out of here and it worked. We're way, way up. What did you think of the main event? What did you think? I know you didn't like the finish of the Cena match, but what did you think of this elimination chamber that goes on last and, and triple H gets his hand raised? Were you happy with the match? I know it was short on time. Yeah, yeah. I was happy with it. I thought it was crazy. It, it was a hell of a match and it gave people everything that you would expect out of an elimination chamber match. Not crazy about the blood. And, you know, that's just something that, you know, especially on Sean just happens. And um, the story, you know, within it, I thought they told one hell of a great story. You got where you needed to be. We got a, a, a bunch of questions about this show. There's I no chance wait. we can get to them all, but I do want to hit a few. But before we do, I want to remind everybody that in my real life, I'm helping people save money every single day at SaveWithConrad.com. And I'm telling you, now is the time of year to take advantage of this. If you're in a 30-year loan, I can help you show. I can show you a way to pay your house off in half the time, and do it with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible. I can also get you a lower monthly payment. Maybe you're looking to save five, six, seven, eight hundred bucks a month. No problem. We can even show you how to skip your next two house payments. But if you've got credit card debt, if you've got a second mortgage, if you're in a 30 year loan, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much find out right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. By the way, I want to mention we've got an A plus rating with the BBB and we've got well over a thousand five star reviews at ConradReviews.com. In fact, our average rating there is 4.72 stars, which is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Oh, Leon left us a five-star review just yesterday, and he had this to say. Carlos has an outstanding sense of urgency and attention to detail, very honest and upfront with anything. Well, thank you for your business, Leon. What about Lance up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania? He gave us five stars. He said, made the process easy. It kept me up to date on where we were in the process, what was needed or not needed for me. Five stars. How about uh, Erica? She gave us five stars and said Carlos was responsive and informative. He was able to make the process smooth and easy to understand. When I need to refinance again, I'll definitely be giving him a call. You see, here's the thing. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life. If you've got questions about credit, if you've got questions about how do we buy a house, what's the process? If you're not sure when's the right time to list your house, do you need a realtor first? We can answer all of that for you. The first step is to figure out what your buying power is. Will you need a down payment? And if you do, how much? And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. 
So maybe you've had some credit trouble. Maybe you need a little help getting that score up. We can help you do that. Did you know that FHA will let us do your loan with as little as a 580 credit score? So you don't need perfect credit to do this or money out of your pocket. Because if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Hurry to savewithconrad.com or send me an email directly. Conrad at savewithconrad.com. Bruce, let's talk about uh, some of the uh, different questions that we got here. Luke from Eastern Iowa says, this show being in Vegas, do you have any more gambling stories you can share? The one of Gorilla Monsoon dropping 30K in an afternoon is legendary. Well, even worse of uh, Gorilla Monsoon just staying on top of it. Gorilla used to have this big ring and it said Gino across her diamonds and gold. And Gino went in, we were at Caesars in Vegas. Gino went in to the bathroom, came out, washed his hands and lost his ring, took oh, his, no. took his ring off to wash his hands and never found that ring again. Damn it. And we, we went right back in. I mean, within probably not even a minute, you know, Gino came out, we're sitting talking and he goes, Oh God, my ring. And we went back in I went in with him and looked around and some bitch was gone. Uh, Adam Jefferson wants to know MVP seemed to have all the tools to be a main event star. Is there a reason he never got his time as a main event champion? I thought MVP had a hell of a run. I, 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 thought, he, I thought he had a hell of a run and you know, was where he needed to be. But, but I thought he had a damn, damn good run and damn good place. Uh, Brad Stanton says, uh, did you take the great Kali as far as you could, could more have been done? I think with, with Kali, unfortunately, the limitations of what Kali could do, could and couldn't do. Um, plus, you had you know a language barrier there where a lot of times Kali didn't quite understand. And, and a cultural barrier where um, Kali hadn't watched this his entire life and it was new to him when he had come over. And I think he got trained by some guy and in California that, uh, didn't, didn't do a lot of training with him. So you had a cultural barrier, language barrier, and just physical limitations with Kali, with his knees and, and everything that he just couldn't do a whole lot. So I think we took him as far as he could possibly go. Last one, Drew Landry wants to know, Bruce, this is around the time you're about to leave WWE for a second time. How are you mentally at this point? Well, this was, God, this was 10 months before I was, was leaving. Um, you know, I was fine. I, I think that there's a point, you know, especially as you get into WrestleMania season where burnout is a real thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, Hey guys, it happens. So there was a, probably the first stages of burnout here where you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed because it's like, man, I got to get, we got to get to Orlando. We got, you know, stadium to fill. And it's just uh, a lot of pressure at that time. Well, there's a lot of pressure on us next week. We're finally going to cover the end of Ken Shamrock and the WWF, how his run came to an end here in the world wrestling federation from the corporation to the union and everything in between. 
By the way, you get all these shows early and ad-free over at adfreeshows.com. Not only do you get access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts starting at just nine bucks, but now you can enjoy the first week with us completely free. Sign up for a free trial and get a taste of what ad-free shows is all about. Start your free trial today at adfreeshows.com. And there you'll see some incredible content. We just did a couple of really fun watch alongs. JR watched back the classic flare steamboat trilogy, including the shy town rumble that he was on the call for He's going to give you his perspective all these years later, including Kurt angle, taking a look at his match with Cody Rhodes from 2016, how the match became a reality fresh off of Cody leaving the WWE. And you've even heard us talk about our popular Monday mailbag series over at adfreeshows.com with the longtime WWF referee, Mike Kyoto. Well, now we've got a brand new version of Monday mailbag from the other side. Nick Patrick is joining us here twice a month on Monday mailbag here on adfreeshows.com. By the way, if your business targets men 25 to 54 years old, buddy, there's no better place to advertise than right here on something to wrestle with. You've heard us do some of the ads for the same companies year after year after year. Why is that? Because it really works. With our super targeted audience, there's very little waste, y'all. Go to advertisewithbruce.com now and find out more about advertising with something to wrestle with. The best way to support the show is checking us out on YouTube. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Turn on the notifications bell. It's somethingtowrestle.com. And I want to recommend somethingtowrestleshirts.com. That's where we've got your t-shirts, your hoodies, your tumblers, uh, even some uh, enamel pins, all available now at somethingtowrestleshirts.com. Uh, be sure to follow the show on uh, Twitter, Instagram. It's at Pritchard Show. And over on Facebook, it's Something to Wrestle. Bruce, I don't know what I expected from today's show, but today's show was super fun, man. You were on a roll. Thanks for the time, and I'm glad you get to go take a nap now. No kidding. That's exactly where I'm going to go, too. I'm it's proud snowing of here. I mean, like crazy. Are you going to turn the snow off two weeks from now? I don't want to deal with that. If you can help. Oh, me. my God. I hope so. I hope so, too. And I hope you guys tune in next week. Maybe Bruce won't be sleepy, tired, stressed. We're talking about Ken Shamrock. Are you looking forward to that? Love Ken. Yeah, I love Ken, too. And I love talking to you. We'll see you next week right here on Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Rock on! Hey guys, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Need to call a timeout real quick here. I wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my world listeners for a while now. It's about all the incredible things happening over on adfreeshows.com. Eric Bischoff breaks down TNA's Aces and Eights storyline like you've never heard it done before on the latest edition of In-Depth. I probably came from Sons of Anarchy because that show, one of the threads in that show was always who's the mole? Who is right. in this club that knows this information that could literally put us all away for life? You know, who can we really trust? And guys would use that concern about trust against each other for their own agendas. Referee Mike Kyoto opens up the mailbag every other Monday, answering your questions and sharing classic stories like this. And just lick the licky side of my face and grab me and hold me. And I'd be like, oh my God, all that saliva all over my face. But I mean, it, you know, it would get a big pop. And just to work with those guys, man. I'll tell you, never a bad moment with those guys. Never a bad day. 
If you're looking for interactive experiences, Kevin Nash recently sat down with ad-free shows members for a premium watch-along event of his streak-ending title-winning match against Goldberg from Starcade 98. I mean, since I booked it, I should probably know that. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just... That was just the way... That, that was almost the appeasement that the company... Like, nobody, nobody did, you know, just clean jobs. It was, you know... So, I mean, to, to me, a double run-in at a cattle prod, and I, and I get the victory. I mean, it's... Get this and other exclusive experiences, including now being part of the live recordings of the podcasts. Hey, that's just a small taste of what Ad-Free Shows has waiting for you, including a brand new perk, getting to join in on the live recordings of the shows with four levels to choose from, see for yourself why ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today sign up now at adfreeshows.com that's right sign up today at adfreeshows.com hey everybody this is dan bespris host of fantasy nba today a daily fantasy basketball podcast we cover every box score from every game every day Plus bonus shows on buy low opportunities, players to stash, schedule analysis, and really anything you could need to smash your league into deliciously tiny pieces. Catch the Fantasy NBA Today podcast, part of the Believe Network, on YouTube or wherever you listen.